The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Ooh, shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a more or less family-friendly celebration of all that is geeky. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and along with my daughter Ella, we are two generations of geek. This is episode 51, An American Geek in London, featuring very special guest, Ella. That's right, my co-host is with us for an entire show as she Skypes in from London to tell us what sort of geeky stuff she's been getting up to across the pond. Before I bring her in, remember you can find us online at generationsgeek.com, including blog posts from me and handy links to all our episodes. Plus, check out the Generations Geek Instagram featuring Ella's geeky adventures. Now, on with the show. Here we are with our UK correspondent, Ella, Skyping in from London. Hello! <laughs> so it's, uh, what time there? It's almost 10 p.m. there. Yep. Because I'm sitting here comfortably at around approaching 4 in the afternoon. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's dark here. It is that time. <laughs> okay, well, let's get at it then. Shall we leap straight into the fabulous Tolkien exhibit that you recently visited? So, Oxford University in Oxford, England, has a exhibit on through the end of October that showcases a bunch of J.R.R. Tolkien's original uh, illustrations. And uh, it's free. You have to reserve your ticket, but it's free. And um, so I went, obviously, because how <laughs> could I not? Uh, they're beautiful, you know? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> they're gorgeous, and they have so many of them. Um, and some of them are more, like, there's lots of notes on them. Like, there was one where he was, like, changing Gandalf and Thorin's names back and forth. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they were they were gorgeous. And to see them in person on the, you know, the old <laughs> paper. These were illustrations from throughout Middle Earth. Is it The Hobbit from and The Lord of the Rings? It was, and... it was The Silmarillion okay. through The Lord of the Rings. Uh, it was doodles. It was everything. It was like, I mean, they had scraps of like newspaper that he had like drawn on. Yes. And some of the stuff, like you mentioned him changing names around if... If any of our listeners have read the History of Middle-Earth series, they'll be very familiar with how often J.R.R. changed names and reused names and swapped names as he was working on the various drafts. You know, it's one thing to read about that in in a regular book, but to actually look at his handwritten things changing those names around. (laughs) There was one thing that was like, and I'm, I, you're not allowed to take pictures, which is a bummer, but there was one thing that was like a chart. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember it because it would be like allies. And then it would have like Aragorn, like Boromir, like whatever, like in these little boxes and like talking yeah. about them. Or then it would have like enemies and it would have like, like Saruman or whatever. And it was like so cute because I was like, oh my God, he literally... Like, he made a chart. <laughs> After all this time, when mm-hmm. it's, uh, when the books are such establ- established uh, icons of literature, yeah. it's, it's 
you don't necessarily think about at one point it was still just this guy starting to write this story and having to you know yeah. make little lists yeah. to figure out who was who. <laughs> now, some of these things that you saw, uh, people can already see in various uh, books that have come out collecting together yeah. illustrations. Um, yep. And but then there's also going to be a new book coming out later this year. Uh, called uh, Tolkien, Maker of Middle-Earth, which was the same name as the exhibit. Yeah. So I'm hoping that some of the illustrations that might have been in the exhibit that aren't in previous books will be in that new book. Well, and I I don't know. I can't speak to what people haven't seen before. Yeah. Just because a lot of them I didn't. I didn't a lot of them I recognized. Obviously, they had his original dust jacket mm-hmm. thing and, um, for The Hobbit, the you know, the blue and green one. Yep. And, you know, they had some where he had, like, you know, drawn smog. Like, they're, you know, you recognize them. But the, there are lots of ones that I, like, barely recognize or didn't necessarily recognize. So, I mean... Yeah, I hope that they're they're mostly in the they had the book at there. Oh, really? Yeah, it was expensive. <laughs> it hasn't been released in the states yet. That's what I thought. I saw it and I was like, "That's not out yet." But it's like forty, sixty pounds or something, yeah. and I was like, uh, "I'm poor," <laughs> so I didn't buy it. I bought myself a pocket mirror with the Hobbit dust jacket on it. So that's my souvenir. Yeah, and people might not. This might not spring into people's minds, but so so Tolkien was sort of an obsessive doodler, um, and so he would yeah. doodle, like you said, he'd doodle in newspapers and stuff like that. But yeah. part of this was also because a lot of this work was in the uh, post-war World War II years, and also in post World War One. You know, he served in World War One, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and so often in his life he was working at times during uh, paper shortages. Because of rationing mm-hmm. and and uh, the nation recovering from the war, and so he would tend to use uh, any paper that he had at hand. So he was always like writing stuff, like when students would turn in assignments or tests <laughs> in little you know books. Uh-huh. He would use the uh, blank pages at the end. He would tear those out and he would use them. And so I'm I'm sure that there were lots of interesting odd scraps of yeah, paper there, there. Weird, yeah there was there was lots of weird little scraps there was stuff that like he would have drawn a map but then he would have taped something over a part of it and drawn over it again like it was very much oh yeah like, old school correcting literal cut and paste <laughs> yeah it was yeah it was it was very it was very funny and then i was there with um my friend here who isn't like a tolkien mm-hmm. fan but she's like seen the movies cause she's like yeah my dad makes us watch them every christmas <laughs> I'm like, dude, me and your dad, we'd like. It's you're not saying that she um, dislikes it. She's just not a. No, no, no. She doesn't yeah, dislike she's just it. Not super into like, it like we are. We got there, and she was like, "Do you speak Elvish?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> no." But I used to like when I was learning Spanish, I would like write an Elvish word by accident if they started with the same thing, and I'd been like reading it, and she was like, "Oh my god," which is everyone's reaction when I say that, but it's like. There's a Spanish word, to this day I don't remember what this word is, but it starts with dar, it's like D-A-R, and the Elvish word and root word for stop, the Elvish word for stop as a command is like daro, which sounds like a Spanish command, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, I remember I would, I would all, all the time, that screwed me up, all, I still I still remember that because every time I'd start to write daro, and then I'd be like, that's not, that's Elvish, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> 
Did you have a favorite illustration from the exhibit? It's so hard. I love his maps. Yeah. But they had lots. I mean, there was just, there was so much there. Well, and he also used, I mean, he did colored pencils and he did watercolors. There was. I was going to say, I do like, I like his watercolors. I mean, I love everything, you know, it's like, it would be so hard to choose a favorite, especially they had so much stuff there. Like, there wasn't one thing that I was, like, staring at the whole Mm -hmm. time. I, like, stared at everything for a long time and then kind of made myself leave (laughs) (laughs) because I knew that I could stay in there forever. Yeah, I really love his style. um, We were were trying to make, like, a day of it in Oxford, and I was like, I could stay in here forever. I'll never leave if I – so I – yeah. So I was like, okay, let's go. Let's go, like, see where they filmed Harry Potter. (laughs) But, yeah, his style is really – it's really unique and, like, gorgeous. Yeah, and it it has – you know, depending on the medium he's using, there's some great, you know, differences between some of his pencil drawings and some of his watercolors. Yeah, and yeah. He's a really, he's a really fascinating artist. Yeah, I'd, I would love to see them in person. The exhibit is actually coming to the States, but only to uh, New York. At least put it in the middle. At least put it in Chicago. <laughs> God, New York. And then from there then everything is going back to the various collections because the collect the, the this artwork has drawn on uh collections uh from various uh libraries and i think even some private collectors yeah uh, yeah allowed uh stuff that they own to be shown in here and it's probably you know quite likely a once in a lifetime chance who knows when they would ever take these out of yeah, uh, yeah. honestly I was very happy to be there. It was a little bit overwhelming. It's kind of a small space, and there was lots of people mm-hmm. in there. It's very busy. People are there all the yeah. time. But, yeah, I mean, everything was just so gorgeous. It was such a – I'm so happy that this coincided with me being in London. I just felt really, like, lucky, and I was glad that I had somebody that would go with me. Yeah. Um, even though she's not a huge fan. Um, so that was nice. It made me feel very sad to leave. Mm-hmm. It was just one of those things where it's like, I, you know <laughs> – it's like you want to stare at it yeah. forever. Yeah. I could have stayed in there until they closed. So I I cut myself off. But um, it's very moving to see that kind of artwork from somebody who has been gone for so long. You know what I mean? Yeah. How were the colors? Are the colors still very vibrant? Or did things look faded? Or Well, it you know, it's a little faded. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell it's faded like with time. Yeah. But you can tell that they were very vibrant colors. There was one note. There was a note on... Um, the Hobbit dust jacket. It's like the Hobbit dust jacket that he designed. Yeah. It's got lots of blue. It's got lots of green. It's trees, sky, the mountain, um, and a road. Copy of it that they have, which was the one that he gave to the publisher to use for the book, had the sun sort of, you could tell that he had taken like like a correcting pencil, like a red pencil, mm-hmm. and sort of colored in the sun. And then there was a note on the side from the publisher that's like, just ignore the red. Like, we're not going to pay for that. It's going to be blue and green. <laughs> Oh, like he had man. wanted to he, he had wanted to use this extra color for the sun. Yeah. And the publisher was like that's going to be a no from us. Yeah. We don't know if this book is really going to take off if it's worth our yeah, investment. I mean, you know, it's all <laughs> uh, what's a hobbit? It's all dwarves, you know. Like oh my god, I saw this post somewhere that was like that said that J.R.R. Tolkien really stunted on everyone cuz he made up a word like he made up hobbit nobody knew what a hobbit was like imagine yeah. if i made a book and i was like i bet i can't even make up a word that doesn't sound like something he would say like if i made up a yeah. book and i called it 
the Timbaland. <laughs> and then that was the title of my book. And then 50 years from then, everybody was like, oh, a Timbaland, of course. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You know, crazy, crazy. So you mentioned that you uh, went to see some locations from the Harry Potter films. Yeah, well, we didn't really... You can take, like, these Harry Potter walking tours in Oxford and stuff because they filmed a lot of uh-huh. the shots at the at the university because it looks like a castle. A lot of it was sort of closed while we were there, like, closed to visitors. Um, so oh, we, mm-hmm. we, weren't wa- we weren't walking, like, right where they were filming, but it, it looked very much like the courtyard sh- scenes in Goblet of Fire, the courtyard where he talks to Cedric, the courtyard where Draco is turned into a ferret. We were, like, around there. Like, we were outside of that. Mm-hmm. But the whole place looks, I mean, it looks like Hogwarts. I was just thinking that almost anywhere you go in England, it's going to look like you're in, in Harry Potter. It does. <laughs> Especially to Every, American eyes. Dude, everything here, it's like, <laughs> you watch, like, you, you watch, like, one movie that's set in London, and you're like, oh, that's beautiful. And then you get here, and it's exactly the same. It's, li- <laughs> it's, it's literally no different. It's no different. Like, watch, like, Man Up with Simon Pegg, exactly the same. Hot fuzz, exactly <laughs> mm-hmm. the same. I swear to God. So that was your Oxford day trip. Mm-hmm. Are are you ready to move on to your next astonishing geeky adventure? <sighs> we can move on. Okay, so there was a little thing that happened in my UK hometown, Birmingham. Yeah, it was little, just a little. As I mentioned somewhere on social media, the last syllable is pronounced gum, not ham. That's how you know you're in England. Oh my god, I said Birmingham, I said Birmingham once by accident. <laughs> Roasted. <laughs> Destroyed. <laughs> I said it right the whole weekend, and then once I wasn't thinking, and I said Birmingham. Destroyed. <laughs> so, yeah, a little, little, little bit of a Star Trek convention called... Destination Star Trek. Oh my God! <laughs> Why don't we just uh, let's just go? Di- let's try to go day by day and see if we can get oh you through this. Oh my God! I you're still overwhelmed and recovering. I am so overwhelmed. I'm so exhausted. The post-con depression. I like. I'm. That's what I'm gonna write my dissertation on. <laughs> how depressing that Monday after con is. Even though you're so happy, you're like so happy, but then you just lie in bed all day, just feeling really sad. <laughs> now I'm back to my normal, now I'm back. dreary oh, day-to-day oh my God, life. Dude. Monday night, <laughs> when I realized I had to go to class in the morning, <laughs> disaster, disaster zone. So Friday, got off to a rough start, as I recall. Friday? Oh my God. Here's The thing about this weekend was that it was so stressful. And if I was mm-hmm. doing anything other than something I love as much as going to a huge Star Trek convention, it would have been like a bad weekend. But because mm-hmm. I was doing all of this stuff to go to the Star Trek convention, there's no way it could have been a bad weekend. Um, yeah. But it was so stressful. <laughs> um, I overslept my train by three hours. So you woke up three I, hours I after up- your alarm. No, I woke up three hours after my train should have left London. So how many hours did you sleep past your alarm? About four. Wow. Which is, which has never, I mean. Well, and it must have, I can't imagine when you woke up and realized how late it was, how badly did you freak out? Dude. (laughs) The denial. I looked at my phone and it said like, 
847 and I like put my phone down and then picked it back up. <laughs> I was like, no, that's like, it's five in the morning. Put it down, picked it back up right outside. I can hear people talking. It was rough. Anyways, theoretically, I had plenty of time basically to get ready yeah. and leave. But that, you know, it's so it's like I ended up like I forgot stuff and I was like throwing everything in my bag and running out the door and like running to the tube station and then sitting on the tube and then running from there to the train station. Like, oh, my God. Because you'd been planning on getting into Birmingham earlier in the day. And so you, you would have had a lot of time before the con started. I was supposed to be getting into Birmingham when I woke up. Like when I woke up was when I should have been like packing my bags on the train to leave. Wow. Very wild. I did end up making it just on time. So it ended up being fine. Am I going to forget literally running from my dorm to the tube and then literally running from the tube to the train station and then literally running from the train to my Uber and then literally running from my Uber into the NEC? <laughs> No. <laughs> then you've got that thing where you just have to sit there on the train. I just had to sit there. For two hours or whatever. And the whole yeah. time you're just freaking out. The whole time I was like, I'm so late. I'm so late. And you said you got there in time, but it was just like really at the last minute, right? It was technically I was 15 minutes late to the thing I was turning up for, but they were running late. So I ended up being like right on time. Because that was straight into the uh, press conference, right? Yeah, I was doing press for um, Enterprising Individuals. Plug. We all know my second job. I just want to insert here. Yes. For anyone who might be turning it, tuning in for the first time. You're the co-host. Yes. Of Star Trek Discoverage, a Star Trek Discovery after show. Yes. And then there's also a related podcast called Enterprising Individuals yeah. that covers other Star Trek shows that both you and I have done guest spots on. Yeah. So I was like, when I was running late, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to be late to get my pass. It was like, I'm going to be late to the press conference. <laughs> And who was going to be at the press conference? Everyone. All the Trek stars from all the... Almost everyone. Well, they did it in, like, rounds. So it would be like, here's Fred Hayes. Fred Hayes was on Apollo 13. And then it would be like, and now here's Walter Koenig, Terry Farrell, um, all of the Ferengis, Max Grodenchik, uh, Chase Masterson, uh, Andy Robinson, um, Alexander Siddig, the love of my life. <laughs> who else? God, almost everyone. They had stars from across all the TV series, I, plus yeah. other celebrity guests. And so a lot of them made, a lot of them, but not all of them made appearances at the press conference that you covered. Yeah, the whole, almost the whole disco crew. Mm -hmm. But they, we weren't allowed to ask them any questions. They couldn't talk. They didn't even have mics. They didn't give them mics. They didn't put out chairs. The disco crew came out so we could take pictures of them and then mm -hmm. they left. So wild. So did you get to ask uh, any questions at the press conference? I did. I asked a couple of questions. Cool. I asked Walter Koenig a question, I think, and then I asked the Ferengi family a question um, that I think should be released through Enterprising Individuals. I took videos of it. As your work for Enterprising Individuals gets released, the Generations Geek uh, Twitter will tweet out links and stuff so people will make sure to find this stuff. That's right, boy. Tune in <laughs> to the start of my career. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years from now, you'll all be wishing you knew me now. So there you were at the press conference, just in the nick of time. Got to see a bunch of people, got to ask some questions. With all of the real journalists. <laughs> this puts me in mind of 
when I did my study in England decades ago, over the Christmas break, I went on a skiing holiday with my mm -hmm. droogs, and I had never skied before. <laughs> so the first time I ever skied mm -hmm. was in the Tyrol Mountains in Austria. <laughs> and I say that because it makes me think of like you. It's like, so the first time you do like press and interviews, <laughs> it's, it's in Birmingham at a huge Star Trek convention interviewing gargantuan Star Trek Stars. And I mean, I was the only American there. I swear to God, I was the only American there. It was like... And were you people... the youngest uh, person in the press corps? I I had to have been. I had. <laughs> I was the youngest. I was the youngest. And I was probably like... There were probably four girls, and three of them were the Trekkie girls, and then one was me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I had a lot of other podcasters approach me and be like hey you're from america what your podcast <laughs> i'd never heard of it before that's so crazy like i listened to it last night it's really good blah blah, blah. but it ended up being good for enterprising individuals because when i start talking with an american accent everyone's like whoa what's going on and then mm -hmm. i say enterprising individuals and then they all remember me saying enterprising individuals instead of however i don't know how somebody i don't i can't do an accent i'm not gonna do it but <laughs> say it differently obviously yeah. So then was there anything else uh, on that Friday night after the uh, press conference? Oh, yes. The afternoon after the press conference was my one-on-one -on -one interview. And so who did you get to interview? Uh, Max mm -hmm. Grodanchik, who played Rom, and uh, Andy Robinson, who played Garrick. <laughs> Garrick would be the best YouTuber. <laughs> yes, he would. He would oh be my like, gosh. He would be like James Charles if James Charles took a bunch of anxiety pills and then drank a bunch of Red Bulls. <laughs> the um see now I'm picturing He's like, he's like super chill, but all the energy is like in his eyes, like his eyeballs yeah. are just vibrating and he yes. it's like he he's like in a different dimension. I'm picturing now like the way Neelix used to do announcements on Voyager, now I'm just picturing Garrick doing little announcements. On Deep Literally Space Nine. imagine if you just have a wireless <laughs> mic. Amazing. Amazing. Oh. I mean, that's that's season eight of Deep Space Nine right there. Is Garrick wireless mic yeah. directly into the camera. It's like story time. You won't believe what this Starfleet doctor said to me. <laughs> oh, so you got to sit and chat with Andrew Robinson or Andy oh, that you call God. him now since you're close personal friends. He's my grandpa. I call him Andy now. And Max. They're so good. They're so good. They're both so sweet. Both of them immediately asked where I was from. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. again, everyone was confused. And then they both knew like what I was talking about. I was like, St. Paul, Minnesota. And Andy <laughs> Robinson was like, I love that area. And I was like, you do? <laughs> <laughs> and Max Grudenchik, I said, I'm from St. Paul, Minnesota. And the first thing he said was, I was at the Minnesota State Fair in 1987. <laughs> That's so and wild. And I was like, dear Lord. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Wild um, so he has, he has a very funny story about um, seeing a bunch of people wa watching a cow um, <laughs> nursing some calves, and it's got a it's got a M Night Shyamalan twist at the ending. So <laughs> definitely go listen because it's very funny, and I'm you can hear me 
doing my best not to be starstruck. Mm-hmm. Like the interviews are like it go like it's like me basically imitating Aaron to ask the questions. <laughs> a good role model in journalism. He is. He is a fantastic Mr. role model. So me going like, hold on, let me find my my notebook where I wrote down I wrote down my questions. So it'd be me being like, oh my god, it's the state fair. That's crazy. Was it huge? Oh my god. Oh, okay. Well, um. Listen, uh, you had to wear extensive prosthetics for your role. Like, <laughs> and then they'd say something, and I'd be like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Rom's character goes through incredible changes over the course of the deal. Like, it was like, it, it was night and day. It was night and day. Like, I was, nice. you can hear me trying, just trying so hard to be a professional journalist like i'm like i'm doing this interview i'm ready um i'm i've been podcasting for six years i've got it under control like some of these questions i wrote and some of them my boss aaron gave to me to ask and yes i'm very prepared here we go what do you think your character is up to 25 years after the end of ds9 and then it cuts to me being like oh my god that's amazing i'm gonna cry okay <laughs> <laughs> I was just doing, I was doing my best. Right. So you had your fabulous uh, one-on-one interviews. Uh, after that, oh did, my God. then were you just relaxing the rest of the night or what else did you do? This is still just Friday night, the uh, first day of the con. Friday night, uh, the opening ceremonies. Oh, yes. So, which was like every guest coming on stage, just like people who weren't at the press conference, like Shatner came on stage. Mm-hmm. Shatner comes on stage and I'm like, What's he going to say? Like, I've never seen him speak. Like, he's a weirdo. Like, he's either... You've seen him speak, but you were very young. I've seen him speak when I was very young, and I saw him... He came to... When I was at the Supernatural convention, remember, he came out on stage? Oh, yeah, yeah. But I literally could not hear him because I was sobbing. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, he came. He came. Yeah, a surprise Um, appearance is... is, Because that was the... uh, that was the year that there was a Trek con opposite the yes. Supernatural con. Yes. So he was and in for, town. And yeah. It was a very hard decision, and I ended up being at the Supernatural convention. And then Friday night, he walked out on stage. Yeah. And we all thought it was going to be Jeffrey Dean Morgan um, because Misha Collins got up and he was like, This is somebody who's like a father to all of us. <laughs> I and Jeffrey Dean Morgan plays the dad on Supernatural. And then William Shatner walked on stage, and I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> Oh my god, like sobbing and all the girls around me were like we don't know what <laughs> what her deal is, but um he comes out on stage anyways, so he comes out on stage at the opening ceremonies and he's like, Hello, Birmingham, destination Star Trek, destination fun, destination autographs, destination photo ops, destination fun. Am I right? And everyone's like, "Wow, my God, it's William Shatner!" And then he's like, "Thanks, guys!" And then he walks right off stage. <laughs> I swear, I swear. Except the destination bit, I I swear it went on longer. It went on for so long, and I was like, "How long is he gonna do this bit?" And then he was like, "Thanks, everyone. Bye." Like it was so so weird. Oh, what else did I do on Friday? Um, oh, I interviewed Mo, the cosplayer. The fabulous Stamets cosplayer. Yes. Yes. Um, so we can all listen to that. Um, Mo is amazing. And then I spoke to 
uh, Anthony Rapp. Stamets himself. Stamets himself spoke to Anthony Rapp. Um, spoke to Wilson Cruz. Nice. Um, spoke to Kenneth Mitchell. Nice. Which is all thanks to Mo, who yep. literally grabbed me by my sleeve and my ginormous bag and just hauled me up to Anthony Rapp and was like, she's afraid to talk to you guys. <laughs> and, then I, and then Anthony Rapp looked oh. me in the eyes and was like, why are you afraid? And I was like, <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, let's, I'm, I'm going to insert a parenthetical here. Because you were so late, you had to carry all of your stuff with you the whole time because you weren't able to ditch your luggage at your Airbnb. For the Duluth natives, I have literally a Duluth pack backpack on stuffed to the brim. I have a huge shoulder bag stuffed. So I'm like, and I'm wearing heels. So I'm like, walk. I look ridiculous walking (laughs) around this convention. And so Mo grabs me. I can't do anything about it. And then before. At, you know, even if I could do something about it before I'm able to, it's like we're making a scene directly in Anthony Rapp's eyeline. <laughs> like he's looking at Mo being like, what's going on over here? And then Mo's like, she's afraid to talk to you. And he's like, why? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that because you're looking at me and I can't speak. <laughs> um, Did you actually say that or was that just in your head? I I think I, I was more of a like stammer of like why wouldn't i be afraid uh but then um (laughs) mo because of her fantastic cosplay had already spoken to him and so they kind of like had this thing like rapport yeah uh this anthony rapport going on (laughs) (laughs) actually she uh mo dragged me up to uh anthony rap second she dragged me up to kenneth mitchell first Mm -hmm. who is like such a great guy he plays cole um on on disco and he is such a fantastic guy he has this hilarious impression quote unquote impression he likes to do of prime Lorca, where he just takes the mic and he goes i'm prime Lorca." and it's like so funny and then jason isaacs will be standing there like oh like uh anyways Kenneth Mitchell is so, so personable and so, so nice. And so he's the first person I talk to. And Mo drags me up to him and goes, she's afraid to talk to any of you guys. So I'm dragging her around here. And Kenneth Mitchell stands up and goes, come on, and puts his arms out. And I'm like, stop. But I, like, go in for the hug. <laughs> oh, you know when you're, like, you know when you're, like, don't do it. But, like, you're, like, also hug me, Kenneth Mitchell. <laughs> Like, I literally was like, stop, like, but I'm, like, going in for that. <laughs> um, which uh, Wilson Cruz did the same thing. He was like, oh, my God, come here. You're so sweet. And I was like, hi, Wilson Cruz. <laughs> um, and then Wilson Cruz asked where I was from, and I said, St. Paul, Minnesota. And he said, my nephew was just born in the Twin Cities. And I was like, are you kidding? And then he said, do you want to see a picture? And I said, do I want to see a picture of a little Minnesotan baby? Yes, I do. And he showed us, like, their private, like, family Instagram, like, showing us all these pictures of the baby. And then he said, he looked me in the eyes and he said, their surrogate gave birth there because of the legislature in Minnesota. Both my brother and his husband can have their names on the birth certificate. And I was like, oh, like, I stayed chill. But I was like. That's my home state, baby, Minnesota. Yeah. Like, <laughs> so Friday night and Saturday night are like the parties. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the actors like just like roll up to parties. <laughs> and so I went to the party, like I walked there and I was standing there and I realized, and I walk in and the dude, um, his name is Sam something who plays, uh, is it Cooper? The kid who's killed right away. And then Sonequa kills the mirror version of him. Oh yeah. I have, yeah. I'm blanking on the character's name, but, but I know who Anyways, you're talking about. Yeah. I walk into the hotel and he's like sitting on one of those couches that hotels put in hallways for no reason. Yeah. And I do a double take, which makes him look at me. And then I go, are you just chilling? <laughs> and he goes, Oh yeah, I'm waiting for somebody. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I just walked away. Because <laughs> <laughs> It was so much. Everything was so much. And then, um, and then I walk into the lobby and Anthony Rapp and Jason Isaacs are standing right there. Just mm-hmm. like talking. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then before I can even take my eyes off of them, some other guy, what's the name of the dude who played Vic Fontaine in Deep Space Nine? James Darren. Yes. So he's like in line next to Jason Isaacs and Anthony Rapp. I didn't even realize he was there. He was there. Cool. Vic Fontaine was there. And then before I can even come to terms with the fact that I'm standing two feet from Anthony Rapp and Jason Isaacs, some fan starts yelling at Vic Fontaine. And Vic Fontaine is like, you're buying me a drink. And I'm like, where (laughs) am I? Where am I? What's happening? Because you're in this hotel bar. 50% of people are wearing Star Trek uniforms. I'm like, my eyes are locked on Stamets, on Lorca, on Vic Fontaine. There's a crowd. I'm short. I can't see anything. Okay. Oh my God. Um, anyways. Um, so I was there for a little while and then nobody I really knew was there yet. So I left back into my Airbnb and then I went back and I get back. And the first thing that happens to me when I get back is I walk in and I lock eyes on Alexander Siddig, Dr. Bashir. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to high five Alexander Siddig. Like, here we go. So I like raise my hand and I'm like, hi, like, it's Alexander Siddig. Um, uh, and Alexander Siddig is like such a, he's like, hi, how are you? Nice to see you. But he like misses that I want to high five. Like he's like waving at me. And so he <laughs> like, we like do the like pass thing where I'm just like, okay, Alexander Siddig is not going to high five me. Like, boom. And we have like a moment where both Turner both like, that was hella awkward. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I am like, I'm living for it so unironically. I love that I had such a strange moment with him. <laughs> like, and he was so, I think he, he was like literally going to the Hilton desk. He probably like needed another towel or something for his room. And I'm like, but like, put her there. And he's, like, and he's still so nice. He's like, hi, it's so nice to see you. How are you? And then he's just like, oh, that girl wanted a high five for me. Anna. <laughs> like, so good. So good. And then I went to the party room, uh, which was uh, like Wild West themed and uh, watched a bunch of nerds dance to like American 80s music. Mm, and they yeah. were playing weirdest music. So they, they would play like Carry On My Wayward Son. And I'm watching four drunk admirals, eight drunk Andorians, like just all just like this sea of like drunk nerds. <laughs> and then like screen accurate Jayla just like smashing it, yeah. just Get, like getting like like footloose which they played footloose by the way unreal anyways then i went home and, and uh went to bed because uh in your caravan in my caravan <laughs> so my, the... my airbnb was a 
uh, I don't even, what's, oh, oh my God, I've been here for like two months. What's the American word? RV? More, well, is it self-propelled or was it's, it a trailer? It's a, it was, it, it was a trailer. It was a fifth wheel. Yeah. Yeah. So like a camper, RV, fifth wheel, whatever we would call yeah. her in the States, but. Her name is Bertha and she is what I slept in on Friday and Saturday. Bertha was fantastic, except for that my Uber drivers had to see me get out of the Uber and then immediately into a fifth wheel and a driveway. <laughs> <laughs> but you were lucky to get that because... I was. The hotels sold out, okay? B&Bs yeah. sold out. Because getting going to the con was a very last-minute thing, so, you know, yeah. It was so, it was so last-minute. Oh, my God. Um... Yeah, I'm still, it still feels last minute. Like my brain still, I don't know if you can tell by just my, my psychological state of mind yeah. as we're recording this and whoever is listening, but it's it's been wild. And so then it was very last minute that Aaron found out that you'd be at the con and then arranged for you to do this press stuff. So it was like, you know, suddenly it's like, oh my gosh, you have to get an Airbnb. You have to, you know, do something. It's like... Oh my God, it like it's giving me anxiety and it's over. Like it's over and done. <laughs> like we're past it. And it's like, I, it, like I, I, I could give myself a panic attack in all reality. If I wanted to, like I could make myself freak entirely out. Anyways, yes, I spent all weekend choking back tears um, because I was so happy. What, what did you have going on on Saturday? So Saturday morning is when like the panels started. The way the panels work in Destination is that there's like one huge stage and that's where um, the paid panels are. And then there's two smaller stages and that's where the free panels are. Mm -hmm. And so, but there's a paid, like a huge paid panel, like every 20 minutes on the big stage. And so on um, Saturday, I was like running around between those, like figuring out my own nonsense and like buying autographs. So, like, Saturday was when I got my Walter Koenig autograph. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, so Saturday was very much, like, panels and, like, talking to people. Um, I had lots of people come up to me who remembered me from the press conference. Again, I was the only American in Birmingham. And where? <laughs> I'm just going to start saying Birmingham now to <laughs> everyone, honestly. Like, just say um, Brum. Brum as it's um, known. From. So you got uh, Walter Koenig's uh, Chekhov's autograph. Did you get yes, any other autographs? Um, I got Bill Shatner's autograph, son. The Shat's autograph. Anything else, or was it those two? Um, no, I was considering getting Kate Mulgrew's, but um, it took me all of Saturday to like think it over, and then I, I would hit Sunday morning if it works out. If I have time, then I'll do it, but not if it doesn't work out if I don't have time. Mm -hmm. um, and she left pretty early on Sunday. Oh, so, so that it just did not didn't... work out. No. Well, there was um, a lot that... going on there. You also didn't get to uh, hang with our uh, friend Una McCormick, who was there. I didn't see Una. <laughs> with James Swallow to sign books. Oh, my God. It's like I'm physic i'm so exhausted every part of me is still so exhausted <laughs> this is a funny thing people who follow us online will have seen this on social media but so james swallow the star trek novelist was there and he took a picture of the audience from the stage and when he posted that prior to his posting of that you had already said something to me about having seen him on stage so i made a joke mm -hmm. response to him saying Somewhere in that photo is my daughter 
saying, look, it's James Swallow. The situation with the James Swallow, the James Swallow bit that we have, <laughs> which I don't know how much we've done on the podcast before, is that I've read some of his Doctor Who stuff, and my God, that man is an amazing writer, and he writes... I mean, the way he's able to transfer the characters from the screen to the page is um, an amazing thing and really takes a special uh, author. And so I get weird about him (laughs) because um, I used to be semi-chill around people who are quote-unquote celebrities, and now I'm just not. Now I have no chill. And it's fine. (laughs) And I know that. But um, so James Small is one of those people where I'm just like, I really can't handle this. But then... um, you like to be like, hey, at James Swallow, my daughter at Gondor Gold, and then James Swallow like likes it. And I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> well, and so what I was, I didn't quite finish the the story there. I tweet out somewhere in that photo is my daughter. Well, as it turns out, you were actually quite visible in that, that photo. That, which I didn't realize when I, I I hadn't even looked at the photo that closely. I just immediately replied uh-huh. with the joke. But it turns out, well, there you are. <laughs> I have truly had a wild few days. Yes. Um, and then... And so sp- all of Saturday, panels, amazing. Everyone, amazing. Me, starving. Pasties, tasty. It can be hard enough finding a good meal at the average con. But then when you're vegetarian, leaning toward vegan... Then it's I'm another layer of challenge. Heavily, heavily leaning towards vegan. Yeah. And then and you, you had mentioned that th- at this particular con, they didn't seem to have as many options as, as some cons do as far as oh trying to God. find some place to eat. It was like, there was like four food trucks. One of the food trucks was authentic American, which... And how authentic in, was it really? Well, in England, when they say authentic American, what they mean is um, grilled cheese... Uh, hot dogs and hamburgers. Okay. <laughs> but they don't say grilled cheese. They say cheese toasty because they can't get even that right. <laughs> so you'll have places and it's like authentic American cheese toasties. And it's like <laughs> you start with authentic American and then you say the most British thing I've ever heard in my life. Cheese toasty. Uh, I mean, Starbucks has cheese toasties. Unreal. Anyways, there's a pasty place in the NEC. Y'all, shout out to them for saving my freaking life because they had these chickpea pasties that were amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, They weren't close to vegan, obviously, because they're encased in pastry, which is 50% butter. (laughs) But But vegetarian. You were able to find vegetarian But vegetarian and... um, Thank you for saving my life. I wish I could remember the name of the pasty company. They won best pasty in the world last year or in 2016, maybe. I think, yeah, they had the thing up. Anyways, so the pasty, as you can imagine, was a very good pasty. You're you're at con. You're, like, too nervous to eat. So Mm -hmm. I would, like, buy a pasty and then eat, like, a quarter of it and then weirdly have this, like, three quarters of a pasty just, like, in my bag (laughs) and then just, like, whip it out. Whenever you have a chance Um, to have a little... Yeah, to be like, I think I could stomach some... Most of the time it would be like I would when I got back to Bertha, mm-hmm. I would like microwave the pasty 
and then like eat it with a fork and some cold British milk. <laughs> so during the course of the day on Saturday, did you end up chatting with any of the uh, actor guests again? Saturday, I mostly just spent like absorbing things. I'd be waiting for a panel to start. Like just, I would be eating, like I would have like mouthful of chickpea pasty, which by the way, when you're anxious, tastes like sawdust. <laughs> um, so it'd be like mouthful of sawdust. And I'm like trying to just be present. Mm. And then somebody would, and then somebody would be like, oh my gosh, hi, I'm Lee from the Filibuster podcast. And I loved your question at the press conference. And you're over here all over America. Oh my God. And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> like, by the way, I think the Filibuster podcast, I think Lee from the Filibuster podcast is a real person. So check out the Filibuster podcast because <laughs> he was very nice. A, a lot of people asked me um, which guest I was with or if I was with CBS or if I was staff. Um, <laughs> so shout out to um, me shopping at TK Maxx for hours and hours and hours and hours for the week and a half before the con, just trying to come up with some good outfits. Thank the queen. Who? So Saturday the panels end. And then I'm like, ooh, because everyone's leaving, right? And press gets to stay to set up by the red carpet. So like oh. people kept coming up, people kept coming over, like just to watch the red carpet who didn't have tickets. Mm -hmm. And then a crew member would be like, sorry, if you're not pressed, you gotta leave. And I was like, I'm pressed, I get to stay. <laughs> oh my god. So the red carpet started, there were lots of fans, they had the actors sort of mingle through. Mm -hmm. Um it was very it was very, very sweet. Um And so were the press like yourself allowed to like shout questions from the red carpet or something? It was more like taking pictures. Mm -hmm. Um I saw a couple of people go up to a couple of different journalists. I wasn't really in a mood to be the yelling journalist yeah. at a red carpet. Okay. Fair enough. So I was taking videos, taking pictures, smiling, mm -hmm. waving. It was a lot of, it was a little bit more of entertaining the fans than it was of like being able to yeah. interact with the actors because the fans would come out and be like, oh my God, yes, hello, it's me. And I'd be like, hi. Like, <laughs> But it was very, it was very sweet. It was very fun. Um, it was like a real, it was a real red carpet. Yep. They had a red carpet. They had like a photo backdrop. They had like a fence. So I was like on, I was up against that like a metal fence. Like the, like the scenes in movies. Yeah, it was, yep. Um, <laughs> feeling, feeling very important. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> and then after a while, a guy came over to me and he was like, hey, they're going to start pretty soon. So you can go ahead and go in and take a seat. Um, so I just like walked around the barricade. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm press <laughs> and found a spot. So then you got to watch What We Left Behind, the 25th anniversary Deep Space Nine documentary. Oh my God. How was that? I was honestly in tears for like 50% of it. And the other 50% of it, I wasn't in tears because I had dehydrated myself <laughs> from being in tears and I needed a drink of water. Yeah, I've seen a lot of... They've had a series of various premieres over the last week or so. Yeah. And like all the comments I've seen have been positive and a lot of them talk about crying. <laughs> Cuz oh it's my, so like, moving. And it was a little it was a little weird for me because obviously I I'm a Gen Z millennial cusp. Mhm. Mm I was born uh before Y2K, but not that long before and um so I wasn't uh, alive to see Deep Space Nine be the awkward middle child. <laughs> and so that was a little weird. I 
didn't know anything about the drama surrounding Jadzia's death and Terry Farrell mm-hmm. leaving the show. When the show started, the big sort of controversy that it was set on a station instead of yeah. a ship. Yeah, they talk about that. I knew that some people didn't like Deep Space Nine because they preferred Star Trek on a ship. I won't say anything about what I think about the people who think that, <laughs> unless we want to uh, get into the tea. I don't um, think we want to get into everything. I mean, we can, well, we can just say some fans want a very specific kind of thing from their Star Trek, and other fans like to see a wider range. Other of... fans love Star Trek, full stop. <laughs> and um, so that was a little weird for me, but it was very... Um, They have lots of these scenes set in the writer's room because they go through like, oh, well, if we made a season eight all these years later, what would episode one look like? Yeah. And um, in exploring that, they have these like pseudo animations and um, it's just uh, it's a lot. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it. They had seven seasons and they only had seven seasons. And maybe you read the books. I don't know. Obviously, I'm a fake fan. So (laughs) I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I haven't read the books. I'm sure someday you might find yourself dipping into the uh, into the books. Anybody who wants to come at me about not reading the DC's nine books and then complaining about not having a season eight, spend ten minutes with me and see how many times my attention leaps within <laughs> those ten minutes. If you think I can. And then think about the wall of Star Trek books we have in my house. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> it's a little overwhelming. Yeah. I don't want to hear it until, unless somebody gives well, me some Adderall. <laughs> that's the thing. If, if, uh, like, so myself, a person my age, mm-hmm. I've been able to read most of Star Trek fiction as yeah. it was published. Yes. And so, like, my entire teenage and adult life, I've been reading Star Trek fiction. Then when you have a younger person like yourself, who's, and yeah, if you start thinking, hmm, maybe I should read some Star Trek books, and then you realize, oh, there's like 800 of them. <laughs> and it's also like, not even that, but it's like, That's the li- people that you know. I am around at Star Trek conventions, it's like every Star Trek fan can name any episode by title. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. I let me get there let me get there. <laughs> okay? Yes. And that's another what? aspect of being a younger fan. You haven't had the time to like rewatch things. and yeah. has 50 years on me. Let me get to the point where I can name <laughs> the episodes by title. And then I'll read all the fiction. Okay. Anyways. So that's a little strange for me as a young fan. I didn't know anything about that. Mm-hmm. It was very strange um, for me to see Terry Farrell... Um, talk so candidly and emotionally about her decision to leave the show. I didn't realize it was such a thing. I didn't realize it was this weird negotiation between her and the executives and like her co-stars didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know anything Mm -hmm. about that. That's very strange. That being said, the showrunner, Ira Stephen Bear did the documentary. And I think it's very clear that that was the correct decision. It's clear in the way it was shot and it's clear in how, the actors react during their interviews. They're comfortable. Mm-hmm. They are honest. They 
there's a scene where an visitor borderline like fights with him. Um, <laughs> she gets very up in arms. She's like, you said to me, um, and it's very funny. It's anything you could hope to have for like a show that you love so much. It's really, I can't recommend it enough. It's amazing. I can't the wait to see it. Fake episode one. They write is mm-hmm. amazing. And I was, it was like, I was getting frustrated during the documentary because they don't even have um, the actors like voicing over the lines they write for episode for season eight, episode one. Mm-hmm. So it's like the animation and the writers talking and I was getting like, Oh, it gets so frustrating because like, I can just hear an odd visitor saying that I can just hear <laughs> Cyril yeah. saying that. And it, but I mean, it's just, it is so, so good. And then also for me to be in that environment with all of the actors. Yeah. So many years later and not all of them had seen it. It's, I mean, it's amazing. I can't wait to watch it again. I can't wait for the special features. Oh my God. It's just, it's so fantastic. I do. Here's here. Oh, here's one thing. I was trying to think of something to say about it. That wasn't a spoiler. There's one thing that happens during the credits that I will say is very funny. That made Mm -hmm. me laugh so hard. And that I loved so, so much. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to immediately start talking about that. But I think I'm going to control myself because <laughs> uh, I think that it's um, it's a good surprise, a nice, pleasant surprise at the end. And I want everyone else to laugh as hard as I did when I was surprised by it. Um, but there is one thing that I will say because it's not really a spoiler. It's just something that you see on, on screen. So there's... Um, and I don't remember at what point during the movie it is, but um, there's a point where you see a ship goes past the camera mm-hmm. and you see the name of the ship. And it wasn't until later that I realized that I was probably the only person in the audience that this hit properly. Mm-hmm. Um, having talked before about being the, what seemed like the only American there, <laughs> yeah. um, the, Ship was called the USS Emmett Till. It made me so happy to see that. Did you talk to any of the uh, Brits around you about this then afterward? or At the party, I only met like one other person who had bought a ticket to the premiere to see the movie. And um, I did talk about it, but I started talking about it. And then I stopped and I was like, you're, you don't know what this is and he was like no i don't know what you're talking about and i was like okay and then i was like i was like without getting depressing uh (laughs) it doesn't have to be heavy because this is really uh, like something that i you know that we should talk about and it's i think it's a fantastic thing um and so i i told him who emmett till was Mm -hmm. and a little bit about the tragedy he was like i am so happy that you that I met you and you told me that because I would have had no idea. And I don't think anybody else had any idea, but the idea to me that in the future, a ship and not only a ship, like it's like now we name ships that go on the ocean. Like you name them like the queen Mary and you name them like the Victoria and the Titanic. And that's just the ocean, which I hate the ocean. I respect her. (laughs) I have a healthy respect that comes directly from fear of the ocean, but space, I love her. And a spaceship to me is so like, is so much more extra mm-hmm. than um, 
just some, you know, who, who cares about the, uh, <laughs> Queen Mary? Um, <laughs> what? How can you say that while you're attending <laughs> Queen Mary University? <laughs> but you're just saying that it, it, it has that much more import for you. The idea that in the future, somebody would try to think of a name with enough import to like be put on the side of a spaceship and go across the galaxy and to have that name be Emmett Till, I think is fantastic yeah. and some fantastic foresight by the writers and uh, very, very Star Trek. So everyone look out for the USS Emmett Till, which is the ship that I will no doubt be serving on <laughs> uh, as an exo-paleontologist. So... <laughs> Well, I guess that wraps up your discussion of the documentary, but that wasn't the end of your evening there, was it? There was a party afterwards, or what happened after the show? Yeah, so what was so funny about both Friday and Saturday is that after the events ended at the convention, everyone, like, as a group, or like, everyone who had tickets to the parties, um, walked, like, from Hall 5 to uh, the Hilton, which is where the parties were. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just like this long stream of like nerds, half in <laughs> costume and half not in costume. Um, and me and my painful, painful shoes limping uh, to the Hilton. <laughs> um, and actually Saturday after the premiere was the day that I, I was blessed uh, to see the Na Visitor um, climb through a fence in heels. <laughs> Which I will never forget. Why um, was she climbing through a fence? Let's, I'll give you the play-by-play. -play. It's a very confusing area, the NEC and the hotels around. It's very, it's, it's odd. Anyways, um, so there's this footpath around, but there's also like construction. And so all of the fans knew like where to walk. Uh, Nana Visitor was there. She had brought her son, whose name I think is Django. Yes. Which is a wildly intimidating name. <laughs> so I look, I, I glance across the, uh, the car park, as we say, and I see an angel with snow <laughs> white hair. And I'm like, is that the great love of my life, Kieran Reese? <laughs> and it was. And I'm just like, I try to control myself, but I'm a creep. <laughs> But I know I'm a creep, and so it makes it sort of okay because I can control myself. When I'm at a convention and there's, like, an actor that I love in my eyeline, I generally just enjoy being able to look at them in real life <laughs> because I spend so much time looking at them on screen. Yeah. So I'm staring at her and trying to make it seem like I'm not staring at her. Yeah. So they're walking in the same direction, but they're in this car park instead of on the footpath. And so they keep walking, and there's this little, like, wood fence and it's like the fence is in the way. And so and so I hear Django be like, oh, you know, like, mom, we got to go around. And she's like, mom, I'll go through it. <laughs> and I hear her say that. And I'm like, this is not about to happen to me right now. <laughs> and she's and she's wearing these high heels like stilettos. Yeah. And um, as I'm thinking this isn't happening, she just like folds in half, like like just steps through the fence. <laughs> <laughs> like a like a pro, no hesitation, no wobbling in her stilettos on the like uneven concrete, just right through. And as I'm thinking, that was straight Kieran Reese. And then I hear somebody go, somebody like a fan farther ahead of me goes like, 
says something like, that's what Kira would do, you know, and your mom is like, you know it, and it was, like, so wild. (laughs) Okay, so after um, that encounter, which I will never forget as long as I live, I actually made it to the Hilton for the party, and um, which I think I've mentioned already, both nights was weirdly, like, Southwest America themed. The Brits are very uh, keen on the American Wild West. Yeah, it's but it's like there's also a Statue of Liberty with a Miss USA sash on, so it's like <laughs> it doesn't seem they're they don't really have it down. They like the idea of like saloon doors and like electric bulls that you can ride, mm-hmm. um, but they also think like that all we eat are. Um, uh, like cheese toasties. So I make it to the party and Saturday night is when the enterprise blues band played. So I don't remember all of the members of the band, but one of them is the guy who played Vic Fontaine, James Darren. And so I'm standing like on the back corner of the dance floor and I'm watching a sea of people at least 10 years and more older than me lose their freaking minds to Vic Fontaine <laughs> singing about going to the Suite, but it's like blues music. <laughs> and it was so unreal. And I mean, they were good. And I had the, the guys I was standing around with were like, so is this like, you're, you're American. Like, is this blues music? Like, you know, like, is, how's it? I mean, they were, they were, they were good. You know, they played a very long set. They played probably two hours at least. Nice. And then afterwards they were like signing CDs for people. But when they leave the stage, they started playing again, just this weird mix. It would be like American 80s, American 80s, American 80s, British song I've never heard before in my entire life, but every Brit knows every word to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then some other genre of American music. They closed. I'm skipping ahead. The last song of the night. Okay. 1 a.m. Hilton, Metropole, NEC, Birmingham, Star Trek Convention. Remix of Under the Sea from The Little Mermaid. I'm <laughs> <laughs> not kidding. And right before that, if I'm remembering correctly, if I'm not remembering co- correctly, it was still another musical song, which is unreal. But right before that, they played The Time Warp. Oh, nice. <laughs> from Rocky Horror Picture Show. So you can believe that I tore it up for The Time Warp. But it was it was an odd time. And it's also odd because that night was the night that there was like a full, like a head-to-toe, full makeup Jayla cosplayer. Jayla from mm-hmm. Star Trek Beyond. She um, likes the beats and the shouting. She likes the beats and the shouting, and she was, I mean, if what happens to me when somebody plays any musical mm-hmm. is what Jayla was doing just all night. She needed to have a Scotty cosplayer with her who's just kind of like awkward she, around her. Oh my God, she really did. She <laughs> really did. But I swear, and it seemed like this girl, she was like, I'm Jayla. I like the beats and the shouting. And I'm going to go to the party and I'm going to tear it up. And she tore it. She was on fire all night. Ma'am, if you're listening, I'd just like to thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely unreal. But then it it was like I would be standing around. I was tired, but I was like, I'm staying for the whole thing. I'm staying at least until one. Like I can, I, yeah. I'm in college. I can party. I can, you know, like hit the dance floor without going back to my caravan um, at 1030 during the Star Trek convention. Okay. Like I, 
I can, I'm cool. And so I was like half asleep. People kept being like, are you good? And I was like, I could go to sleep right now, like on the floor. <laughs> um, but other than that, yes, I'm fantastic. I'm having a great time. Well, Anyways, very, very wild night. Those parties are so, so strange. You're looking at like Starfleet admirals, the original series, like lieutenants, lieutenant mm-hmm. commanders, singular Jayla, me in my best uh, representation of what a professional would wear. Like, she, like collared dress buttoned all the way up, like full borderline Wednesday Adams, just <laughs> standing still. And then uh, the party was over at one and I, I did not know that Star Trek nerds party so hard, but then all of the nerds went to the uh, hotel bar, which was still open, and I went uh, directly back to Bertha. And the next day, people, I mean, people st- people closed at the bar at, like, 5 a.m., and mm-hmm. then we're back at panels at, like, 9 a.m. And I was like, this is, I, listen, I stayed up until 1, and I got at least 7, 8 hours of sleep, and I'm destroyed. And these people were drinking until 5 a.m., and they got back <laughs> up, which is, like, a different level of, like, convention, <laughs> a, a, like, attendance that I'm I'm never going to reach. <laughs> All right, so then now we're up to that that melancholy time, the last day of a con, where no matter what happens, it's still, you know, got that context of of it all being over. But but you had a pretty big you had a pretty big day on Sunday. What, Sunday uh, was a very big day for me. Um, like just in my life in general, Sunday was a very big day. <laughs> Just for me as a me as a person, me on my me on my yeah. life journey. Um, <laughs> well, let's just start in the morning. What, ha- what 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 was the order of the day? What did you do first when you got back to the con? I was immediate. I was ten minutes late to Terry Farrell and Michael Dorn's panel. I think oh. was the first thing I did that mm-hmm. day because my Uber got lost because I kept saying this is a car park. You have to go to the building, and then he would just drive in another circle. <laughs> like, no, this is a car park. You can drive to the building, drop me off. Another circle. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, Birmingham, listen, if you ever go to Birmingham, the Ubers aren't on point and neither are the taxis. So, I mean, maybe take the train. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> again, I talked a little about during the documentary about how weird it was to hear about when Terry Farrell left the show because I didn't yeah. know it was a thing. And so because the rule at Destination Star Trek is that you're not allowed to videotape the panels, um, the actors are a little bit more natural Mm-hmm. candid than usual um which means that when i walked in 10 minutes late uh the room was silent and they were talking about when uh terry left the show mm. <laughs> and which was wildly uncomfortable and not in a bad way but just very very strange and then also i love them both dearly obviously and i've never seen terry farrell on stage before i've seen michael dorn on stage before once before but Neither of them are like the Marina Sirtis <laughs> of the convention. No, Michael neither, is neither pretty them, quiet. Yeah, neither of them are really even, neither of them are the uh, the Jason Isaacs of the panel. And so to have them paired together, however, however interesting, was a little strange for the overall like tone mm-hmm. and vibe just because when Michael, when Michael Dorn, for instance, is on stage with Marina Sirtis, they are like a comedy team. Because he's the straight man. 
He's this gigantic, silent man, and she is a tiny Cockney witch. (laughs) (laughs) And it's amazing. And I say witch uh, with all fondness and respect. Oh, yes, Um, definitely. I'm a a history major, and so there was a lot of weight behind that that nobody who listens to this podcast is going to understand. But... (laughs) (laughs) It was very cool to ha- see them both speak at the same time, though, and it was cool to, to feel like they were saying stuff they really shouldn't have been saying on stage. Because <laughs> uh-huh. Michael Dorn was talking about how, like, none of the execs ever said anything to him or the rest of the cast about that Terry Farrell was talking to them about not feeling heard and, like, was thinking about leaving. Like, they n- didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Um so Terry was like going back and forth to set and like arguing with all these CBS, you know, whoever's and, uh, you know, her co-stars had no idea. So that was interesting. Not, not quite as, uh, the, the raucous fun that happens when Marina gets on stage, but also she's, she's like my favorite. So I'm biased. And there was a next gen panel later in the day with, um, Gates McFadden, Michael Dorn and Marina, mm-hmm. uh, which was so much fun. It was so funny, and it was especially funny since, I mean, Gates McFadden is no Marina Sirtis, but um, both of them are definitely much more uh, outgoing in the stereotypical sense than Michael Dorn. Yeah. And so for a long time, he wasn't really talking. And then there was a bit where somebody said something that directly related to Worf a couple of, I don't know, there, were, there was a couple of things in a row um, where, like, Marina started talking about Michael or about Worf or something, and then she stopped herself after, like, 15 seconds and was like, should I just answer for you? <laughs> and and Michael, who, like, hadn't lifted the mic off his lap once yet, just kind of, just, like, nodded very, like, good-naturedly. <laughs> and it was so, so funny. Um, and he did talk. He was, like, he's such a he's such a nice oh man i love them so much anyways they have a very good back and forth is the moral of the story and i posted a very sweet here's a plug go on the generations geek instagram to see possibly the sweetest picture i've ever taken at a convention because about three quarters of the way through the panel um gates mcfadden was talking and Marina and Michael, like, said, like, whispered something to each other. And then they, like, grabbed each other's hands. And they were just, like, holding hands. And it was the cutest thing I've ever seen. And nice. so there's a very, there's a very very sweet picture of the three of them on stage that I posted on the Instagram um, with the two of them holding hands. So, technically, I have seen William Shatner in The Flesh twice before. The first time being when I was very small and the big Star Trek convention was in town and we went. Yes. And the second time being when he walked on stage at a supernatural convention. I want to back up and and point out that the first time you saw Shatner, it was Shatner and Nimoy together and we waited online at the mic, and then you got to the mic. You were dressed basically as Spock. You were, you were in a science I uniform. Small. I was so small. You were so you know, and you got to the mic, and just as you got to the mic, 
uh, that's when they like cut off no more time for questions. And you were left just standing there at the mic waiting. It was the most <sighs> heartrending thing ever. I didn't care about Shatner. <laughs> you were, you were, yeah, you were all about about I Spock. I cared, and you seemed to like bounce back pretty quickly once we like went back into the dealer's room. And you that's were because like I didn't have an entire brain. You were, and we were surrounded by toys and merch and stuff. And and you bounced back, and I was just like heartbroken for you the rest of the day. Cut to his second panel of the weekend on Sunday. And the questions are a little disorganized because you like raise your hand or whatever. And then there are two people like running around this huge auditorium with mics and it just turns into this whole thing. And it's very, it's hard to get it, get her done. But for Shatner's second panel, the host, uh, I believe was Tony Lee was on stage and he was like, we're going to have you line up. And I hear him say that, and I'm like, oh, like, the line's going to fill up right away. And I turn, and there's, like, a dude on either side of, there's, like, one person. So, in total, two people in line, beginning of the panel. And mm-hmm. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, if I get up, I will be able to ask him a question. Yeah. Fact. And a couple more people get in line, and I'm like, it's still, I could get in line and ask him a question. But I'm terrified. <laughs> Just so afraid like all like shaking at just the thought of getting in line and asking him a question but i'm like i'm finally like move because there's two people in line why isn't anyone getting in line go do it so i get in line and i'm rehearsing my question the whole time i'm getting anxiety right now thinking about it (laughs) like intense anxiety thinking about how terrified i was and i'm standing in line and i'm going over my question over and over and over again in my head because I knew the second I had the mic in my hand, the second Shatner looked at me and began speaking to me, I was going to faint <laughs> like I was at a Beatles concert. So I'm in line and I'm like, just remember what you're going to say. It's a short question. It's okay. You're going to get up and you're going to say, um, everyone here knows that Star Trek has changed lives, but blah, blah, blah. Why do you think? And blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Uh, cookie cutter uh, question everyone asks at press conferences but I just want William Shatner to say something about Star Trek that will make me cry so I'm like just remember your question it's fine everything's fine it's a good question you're not going to forget it like he'll know what to say and it seemed so last minute I think in reality I had a few more minutes to prepare myself than it seemed like Mm -hmm. but in my head it basically felt like as I started speaking, I changed my mind. <laughs> that was the level of, like, that was what it felt like yeah. to me, is that I made such a last-minute decision because I had written that question down the day beforehand for yeah. him and then didn't ask a question. And so I get the, I, I come to the realization as I'm standing in line that if I don't ask him about Leonard Nimoy, I will regret it forever. And I, we're not, often very serious on this podcast, or I'm not serious about myself on this podcast. But Leonard Nimoy, in all reality, is and was one of the biggest role models I've ever had. Complete idol. Just love him to bits and pieces. Well, you you went crazy for the Spock character as soon as you started watching Star Trek when you were in single digits age. Spock um, is my boy. Spock is and has been my boy. Yeah. And as you got older and then started learning about the actor behind the role, yeah, yeah he's just going to be... I'm going to cry again. a big deal. 
And so obviously, and it's been, oh my God, how many years has it been now since he died? I can't recall off the top of my head. I think four. Anyways, so it's, a, the, the feelings are complicated now, four years after uh, his untimely death. So I'm losing my mind, as you can imagine, and I'm like not ready and know that I'm like either going to cry or I'm going to sound like I'm going to cry. And it's like mm-hmm. thousands of people in the auditorium. So I have the mic and the crew member is like, just don't forget to introduce yourself. Okay. Just remember to say your name. And I was like, sure. My name. Do you know what it is? <laughs> so he finishes, which we can talk about the question before mine, but I'm going to finish my story first, but we're going to come back to it. Good Lord. Ooh, uh, so William Shatner looks at me and says, hi, um, which in itself is a miracle. And I go, hi, my name is Ella. <laughs> and he goes, hi, Ella. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I'm like, get it together. So I start talking and I say that Leonard Nimoy was and is one of my biggest role models, and that their friendship on and off screen has meant so much to me for my entire life. And Mr. Shatner, I didn't say that because he doesn't need his ego boosted even more. Um, (laughs) And I asked if uh, he had a favorite story about uh, Leonard that he would want to share with us. And he paused for a second. And then he said, yes, I do. Thank you. But what moves you so much about that? So So now Shatner has asked you a question. So now I'm in therapy (laughs) with William Shatner in front of, uh, you know, a thousand people. And I think what made him ask that is that I wasn't, except for the beginning when we said hi, I wasn't fangirly. It was very Mm -hmm. like level and my voice was steady, but it was like, you could tell that I there was a strong possibility of tears. Yeah, yeah. You can tell when someone's about to cry. It's obvious. But I wasn't, like, quivering. I wasn't wavering. It was very... I think you could tell that I was just being, like, very honest and that it wasn't, like, I'm very scared and I'm going to cry. It was, I'm talking about something that means a lot to me and I'm going to cry. Yeah. And we all love William Shatner, but in all reality, I don't know how many... uh 20 year old girls almost cry when they when <laughs> not even to cry about him, but to be talking about Leonard Nimoy piqued his interest. Um, and so I answered him because <laughs> there was one second where I was like, you have to start talking. And I did not know what was going to come out of my mouth. Yeah. Like I did not know it all. I did not, I did not know at all what I was going to say, but I said, I thought Spock always felt kind of an outcast and that he had trouble bonding with people and making friends over the course of the series, but that the love that Kirk and McCoy had for him was so genuine and the three of them, and especially Kirk and Spock, had such a strong relationship, even though Spock struggled so much with that. Mm And I had said, when I started, I said that I thought that a lot of people who watch Star Trek relate to Spock and relate to that feeling of being the outcast. Mm -hmm. And so then he said something along those same lines, like, do you think the people who watch Star Trek have that same feeling of being an outcast? And I was like, um, uh, yeah, boy. (laughs) Um, And I 
said, you know, it's harder to feel like that when you're somewhere like here where, you know, everyone comes together because of this thing and it's this whole like beautiful experience and whatever and everyone's family. Um, but yeah, when you're like at home watching Star Trek by yourself, that it's very easy to feel like an outcast. And then I said that I'd been watching the original series my entire life and that when I was in the second grade, <laughs> um, nobody else in my second grade class is watching Star Trek. Nobody else in my life has ever been watching Star Trek. It's always only been me. Obviously, you're excluding me from that. You're talking about, I am. you know, I in, am your, in, you. in your outside life with friends and classmates. Yes, and... because, and I think that's a very Star Trek thing to have a parent, you and your parent watch it, but you don't know anyone else that does. And I think that also ties into just like, we're in a, we're in a strange place now in 2018 where like being a nerd is no longer like, getting beaten up during recess you're just like you can be like it's more of like oh i'm a nerd for this thing and you're a nerd for gossip girl or you're a nerd for star trek and that's just how it is and everything with um you know game of thrones and kiki tv shows uh taking over pop culture and the rise of higher forms of television the, the walking dead game of thrones we can tell that i'm uh a cinema and media culture major anyways <laughs> Obviously, the feeling of being an outcast and watching Star Trek, being a nerd, we relate. The nerds relate. Yeah. Um, God, I don't even know. I'm. Ha- it's like I'm getting so freaked out remembering how freaked out I was mm-hmm. that I can't remember what he said because now I'm just, like, freaked out. But he did say specifically that he was delighted that that had helped me. Nice. So cute. So sweet. Thank you for my free therapy session, Mr. Shatner. Um, and, and I'm assuming that everyone else had more traditional, like asked a question, got an answer thing, but you actually yeah. had this like discussion. Yeah. Like I was, it was like before I knew what was going on, <laughs> I was talking about Spock and Leonard Nimoy, my favorite thing in the, my, my favorite thing in the whole world to <laughs> um, one of my other favorite things in the whole world. And, um, yeah, like it's, uh, it's wild. And, um, he talked for a long time about the similarities between himself and Leonard and how hardworking Leonard was and Mm -hmm. kind of plugged his books. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like was like, and I write about Leonard in my book, Leonard or whatever. And I was like, yeah, like, (laughs) yes, sir. Mr. Shatner, I know, but, um, I want to hear it from the horse's mouth, <laughs> as it were, you crazy centaur man. Um, I did have a, a formal one-on-one therapy session with the Bill Shatner. You mentioned that you wanted to talk a little bit about the question that was asked before you. Oh, my God. Okay. Yes, I do. It's not as, it's not nearly as happy or end. Well, it, ends, it has a happy ending. I'll just get into it. Okay. So before me an old crusty man steps up to the mic and he says, you know, like Bill or whatever, if you could go back and spend time with one of the ladies from the original series, which one would it be? Uh, Like, do do you, do you have any regrets? And Shatner was understandably confused by the question because what a weird and creepy thing to ask and started to sort of play it off. And then seemed to change his mind. Like, at first he was like, oh, like, well, we're, like, uh, like I don't know if we should get into my personal life. 
Um, like at first he was kind of like kidding. And then yet another miracle happened. Weekend full of miracles. He started talking about the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. And he started talking about how it wasn't until recently that he realized just how brutal Hollywood and the film industry has been to women for so long. And he said that if he had that same kind of awareness, then he would have acted much differently around them. And then he said that his regret, uh, his one regret is not having been more respectful to uh, his female co-stars. Shatner took an awkward question and turned it around and made a good statement. Shatner Shatner decimated that guy. (laughs) And it was so funny because watching him, it was like the dude, like he couldn't be mad because it was like, he knew that that was like, that was the only good answer to the question. Yeah. So he kind of did like this, this smile and like nod, but it was the smile and nod of a old sexist man who has been defeated and can't say anything because he's standing in front of William Shatner. And so was the uh, Shatner panel, the, the the last big event of the Sunday then? Was there anything after that that you attended? I think there was one or two other panels after that. I don't know. Really, my entire brain just shorted out uh, immediately after that. <laughs> yeah. And it, uh, it hasn't come back. <laughs> Um, no, I think Sunday might have been Jerry Ryan's panel. Maybe she's so sweet. What an angel. Oh my God. I just, everyone was so fantastic and they were all so, so sweet. And really it was just a fantastic weekend and a, uh, fantastic convention. I mean, I, uh, I feel very lucky. But then I trust that you had a much uh, better uh, journey back to London than your catastrophic rush oh my to, God. to get to um, Birmingham. When you put it like that, it was much better. <laughs> Getting home the last day of the convention is like so rough, always, yeah, it's always every hard time. To leave. And then I was by myself. <laughs> it was just me and every horrible Uber and taxi driver in Birmingham. That weekend, um, my Uber driver, when I got dropped off at the train station, he pulled over on like by construction, like basically in the middle of the road and was like, here you go. And I was like, um, yeah, is it that building? Is it that door? Like, where am I? (laughs) It wasn't as comfy of a train. I'll say that. But it was a, a very good evening of travel and that it was the first time that I was like, Oh, I'm so exhausted. I'm so ready to go home. And home was uh, the city of London, England. And now it's um, almost a week later and I'm almost recovered. <laughs> Coming up, ladies and gentlemen, is my interview with Mo, who is an Austrian uh, Star Trek fan. And you might recognize Mo as... <laughs> Literally a Paul Stamets lookalike and cosplayer galore. I'm here with Mo, otherwise known as Sound of Cosplay on Instagram and Twitter, and you might have seen her very authentic Stamets cosplay. How is Birmingham treating you? Great. It's awesome here. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) What was the first Star Trek series that you watched? Uh, the original series, of course, really? with, yes, with my dad, I think. Yes, with my dad, like with my family, because my f- 
parents are like kind of Star Trek nerds. So when I was like 10 or something, we started watching them together. <laughs> That's amazing. So kind of means like, like how, like, are they on your level with your cosplay right here? Or are they kind of like, this has gotten far past what we thought it was going to go? Yeah, they they did not expect it. <laughs> But like, they they think it's great because it's something creative and something you can actually use and something that's fun for me. So yeah. <laughs> you started with the original series with your parents. Did they introduce you to the other series too? Have you seen sort of everything or what's your what's your uh, I don't know, preference? <laughs> um well, they played on TV all the time, so I first watched all of the originals and then later like chronologically went on I did not see all of Deep Space Nine mm -hmm. because I don't know it just wasn't my thing <laughs> but like all of the others I loved <laughs> that's amazing you're more into exploring you weren't down when they were sitting in one spot for a while yeah yeah I'm looking at stuff <laughs> I feel that when Disco came out were you immediately enraptured by Anthony Rapp as Stamets or how did the love start well Like, first, he doesn't appear in the first few episodes. So I was kind of like, um, well, the first few episodes are pretty different than the rest of the show. So I didn't like the first few, but I continued watching. And it's just like, you know, the feeling when, like, a character's just like, that's me, like, like <laughs> that's me. And kind of that was the thing. And yeah, so I'm cosplaying him now. <laughs> Have you done cosplays before or what made you decide to go all out? Because we'll obviously have your Instagram and Twitter linked and some pictures or whatever, but it looks fantastic. Thank you. Um, I started like suing. I started when I was a child, like for puppets and stuff, but it kind of continued on into cosplay. Like at first it was some cliche anime for like three months or something. And then I went on to like, Mostly American movies like Loki, for example, I have a cosplay from. But yeah, it's evolving. Also, I made, I first made a different version of the Star Trek cosplay. And after one single count, I cut it up again and made this one. <laughs> All right, so take me through, obviously, the abridged version of the process of making this costume. Because I've made maybe like one and a half costumes myself. And it is like it takes so many just like hours like it takes so many hours and you have to find the exact thing and it's always like 85 separate trips to I don't know what in the U.S. we have something called Joanne Fabrics <laughs> and in the U.S. all the cosplayers make 85 trips a day to Joanne Fabrics to buy more thread or <laughs> glue or like whatever you need so I don't know what uh run with that I guess yeah <laughs> um well it's I think it's always hard to plan out things from the beginning mm -hmm. like a whole cosplay because you never know what you like in the end what you actually need or what you have to do so the, I think the hardest thing was uh, making it actually perfectly fit because I've heard like interviews from Jason Isaacs and stuff talking about like how tight they are and how perfect <laughs> they have to be sitting so that was I think the hardest part to get it fitting how it is and also to find like the the lining Yeah, the silver lines on the shoulders mm -hmm. and stuff to like find material for that and of course the much hated side of the oh cosplay where everyone looks at this and is like do they hate cosplayers <laughs> because it's these tiny tiny deltas and I actually made them on my computer printed them out, cut them out put the stencil on and then painted it 
And so it wasn't, you didn't paint them individually. No. You had a stencil. Okay, yes, that's I had smart. A stencil. <laughs> that's smart. Um, I've seen lots of people being like, yeah, I hand painted these all individually, and that's uh, way too much. So you said that you took inspiration from Jason Isaacs, saying that they were way too tight and he had to sit up very straight. Did you use a pattern at all? Because you had your first cosplay pretty soon into the first season, yeah. it was like before it was even over, right? Yeah. So were you just like, watching episodes over and over and like pausing and like taking screenshots or how did you figure that out yeah mostly i was just <laughs> watching and stopping and repeating and looking at stuff and yeah i think the hardest thing is because if something is made like this you know that it exists like you know yeah. it's possible that it looks exactly like this and then it's like more of a challenge to like know it actually works like this and yeah <laughs> First, you had the uniform, obviously, and from there you've moved on to uh, prosthetics, basically. You have, I don't know what uh, they're called, torture devices. Occuments? Occuments? Implants? Implants, yeah. Um, The things on (laughs) Stamets' arms that plug him into the mushrooms. Yes, (laughs) smart network. When did you decide to take it to the next level? You also, you have another prop here. Yes. Why don't you talk about the process of making these props? Okay, so the implants are made from these sheets of plastics you usually use to line walls because they're really cheap and I need to stay cheap. Like the whole uniform was probably like 50 euros, so really cheap. And just used it with a Dremel and then colored it Mm -hmm. and then glued it on my skin (laughs) with skin adhesives. (laughs) And my mushroom, it's like... It initially was a bottle, a water bottle, Mm -hmm. where this thing was hanging in to put fruits in it, to have fruits in your water. And that I just cut off and cut up and added things. And I mean, the main part, of course, is the mushrooms in the middle, which are made from silicon with a, what is it called? Like string light, fairy light? I don't know how you call it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like inside of the silicon to make them glow. And yeah, I also have. <laughs> yeah, show me. Unleash the props, please. <laughs> the, the very sad you... prop, oh which is the medal that was like Hugh was supposed to receive but didn't get because he died. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean I have still more props. But yeah, that is that's there. so sad. Out of the not only does <laughs> the uniform have functioning pockets, but out of the pocket you whip out the medal for your. <laughs> dead boyfriend that's so sad oh my god he always carries it with him of course oh don't do this to me i'm emotional enough holy crap okay so before we started recording we talked a little bit about anthony rapp and you said that you didn't actually know who he was before star trek you but you're you're a musical person Um, Sound of Cosplay, evidently. Mm -hmm. So did you, have you watched Rent with him in it since? Are you like a big Anthony Rapp fan now? I watched Rent mainly because everyone told me to watch it because I told them that I liked Star Trek. And also Wilson Cruz was in the like original version. So like I I watched it and I really liked it also. Mm -hmm. Like on Twitter, there's a video of me dancing La Vie Bohème. So (laughs) that's, that's kind of the proof. I really like it. And yeah. I don't think I've seen anything else with Anthony Rapp, but with Wilson Cruz. So. Yeah. That's some motivation for everyone to go <laughs> on your Twitter and find that video. Oh, my God. What was the hardest part about this? Like, you have the full, you have boots, 
you have pockets. You we talked about you painting the deltas. The, I mean, it's got several functioning zippers, which is something I can barely do uh, on like any easy. Pe- like I like a skirt is like tough for me. So, uh, what was the hardest part? Um, I think the hardest part was the lining because I'm used to sewing things because I always see cosplayers like gluing their stuff together and I'm mm-hmm. like, you can't glue this stuff together. You have to sew it, but. There's no way to not glue them. So I had to glue them on and they're kind of staying now, but it was like yeah. quite difficult to <laughs> arrange them the way mm-hmm. they're supposed to be over like my, what's it called? Like the puppet you have for... A mannequin. For, yes, the mannequin, like draping it over the mannequin and then trying to glue it on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> and I don't even know, they're not like, it's not your rank. They're just decoration. They're just here's something to make this harder on you specifically, Mo? Yes, probably. <laughs> but also like, yes, I've thought about it too, but there's no, I mean, it says the division, like silver science. Mm-hmm. And it says weirdly, which I have like criticized and I've heard people criticize um, the gender of the officer wearing it because uh, men have five stripes and women have four stripes. Oof. <laughs> Shame. No, like, yeah. <laughs> It's better than the original series. I don't know if you, the original series <laughs> dresses yeah, yeah, where uh, they don't have ranks. <laughs> yes. Listen, everything's fine. Some my, shul- my shoulders are smaller than a man's shoulders. I'm like making excuses for the costumes being different. I'm like, listen, it's fine. Ooh, okay, so um, have you done anything exciting already this weekend? Have you met anybody? Yes. Let's hear about yes. it. So, I mean, I've met... Um, Kenneth Mitchell and Mary Chifo because I know them from Germany and it was really nice seeing them again and I've also met Anthony and Wilson and it was so cool because I've already like I've kind of talked to Anthony on Twitter and he was like I was standing there and he was already pointing at me and we chatted a little and it was (laughs) really really nice like they're all such nice people it's so cool (laughs) so he he pointed you out of the crowd earlier today yes like when we were lining up to get the autographs I kind of, like, sneaked in. He was like, there's Mo. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Pretty much. Like, yeah. That's so cute. So what do you have planned for the rest of this weekend? Do you have, um, I hope you have some photo ops lined up. Yes, of course. I have a few photo ops, but I have to, like, manage my money and try (laughs) not to spend too much. But, yeah, I know quite a few people here, so I'll be hanging around with them and definitely go outside and take, like, more nicer photos not in the convention ground mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> hopefully meet some like stars again <laughs> hang up with <laughs> kenneth and mary mm-hmm. so yeah <laughs> we haven't talked about your uh your viral twitter career which is <laughs> which is how we um at generations geek know you so what was the first tweet you had that kind of went big i, I guess i don't know the like scale but i just found you trending on twitter that's how i know who you are so uh, why don't you talk about having that happen that experience <laughs> yeah okay so that was very weird to me <laughs> because i only like did my stuff to like my blog and instagram mm-hmm. and stuff to like document what i was doing mm-hmm. and i didn't really think people like were interested in it but apparently they are So what happened was I was at a convention in Vienna Mm -hmm. with the first version of my cosplay. Mm -hmm. And I met Jason Isaacs and he's really nice. It was really cool. And I took a picture with him. And at the same day, I went to an artist who I commissioned to draw a picture of Stamets. 
and then she like took a picture of me and posted the picture she drew and me on Twitter and that's when like suddenly I think Trackcore it was yeah, like yeah. reposted it and stuff and took the pictures and then they found the picture I had with Jason Isaacs and it was it was crazy it was really cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember one time I retweeted a picture of you where you were like kind of in character and I tweeted it at Anthony Rapp and I was like why do you guys have the same eyes and he liked it and just that one that one like I was like losing my mind <laughs> I was like it was it was that, that was the first time I like Anthony Rapp liked my pictures that was like that was so crazy because that's so much like approval <laughs> like that's that that means like it's really good if he likes it and that's so exciting so did he say when you saw him earlier today was he like Oh my gosh, you're that girl. I love your costume. What did you have a moment? Yes, yes, kind of. Like we talked, it was really nice. He was really excited. I was probably more excited, definitely more excited. But he was also very excited. And it was really, really nice talking to him. <laughs> He's so sweet. I saw him for like one second this morning in the press conference, but we weren't allowed to ask them questions. The disco cast aren't allowed to do um, interviews, but he was trying very hard to take pictures even like literally just like of himself on stage everyone was trying to take pictures of him on stage and he was like really trying to make it happen <laughs> he was trying it was so hard is there something that i'm forgetting that you're also so. twitter famous for that we should talk about <laughs> i don't know i'm not used to being like that people actually first of all comment on photos like that's so weird and also like when my first photo like got more likes and retweets and whatever I have, since then, I have people messaging me like, hey, we just talked about you in this Russian forum or in this Hungarian <laughs> forum. Like, cool. <laughs> That's like so weird. Like the people like are talking about my mm. cosplay in forums. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So have you had anybody else like me uh, last minute reach out to you and ask if you could do an interview? What's, um, you said people... People do talk to you. People tell you that they're talking about you. So you have, do you have lots of interactions with people who just know you because of this amazing costume? Uh, yeah, there and then. Like sometimes, what, what's really funny I, to, that happened to me this morning um, is there is like this child, like this boy cosplaying Stamets. And I've talked to him, like I've seen his photo on Twitter and commented and his dad went up to me this morning and was like, We've talked on Twitter, I'm his dad, and like we're, we're gonna make like photos on Sunday together and I'm hoping to get like a photo with Anthony Rapp, like tall, middle, really small. Like, a, a, a <laughs> I'm like losing my mind right now, that's crazy. That'd be, that'd be, that would be so funny. So adorable. <laughs> Holy crap. Oh my God, okay. Do you have, oh my God, I see so many cosplaying Tilly. Hi. <laughs> you look really good. <laughs> moving past i am so easily distracted <laughs> i just love tilly yes. with my whole heart she shares a hotel room with me are you serious yes. <laughs> she's like yeah, i back. know her caroline she it's okay it's okay <laughs> that's so funny that i was like oh my god look at that who are you and you know her okay <laughs> um oh do you have any other cosplays coming up or are you going to focus on improving what we have going on here i'm probably not, not, not that there's much room for improvement <laughs> yeah, honestly like, i'm probably gonna leave it like it is because if i try to change something it will just become worse yeah. <laughs> so i don't know yet if i if i want to do something else i don't really have plans well 
I have one plan, which is a, like an Avengers group cosplay kind of, because a friend of mine is an amazing Agent Carter cosplayer, and I might do like Agent Carter's uh, sidekick, Angie. So it will probably, that will happen at some point. But concerning Star Trek, mm -hmm. I'm really waiting for the second season to see yeah. what's happening there. But if I'm getting bored, I will definitely, if I can, <laughs> make um, a version of Paul in the um, Enterprise uniforms. Because I think the, like, the remake of them are really great. I love the design. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see if I have the time or money to do so. <laughs> Do you have any like predictions for where they're gonna go with this next season? Or do you like what are you most excited about? All that, all that good disco season two stuff. Well, good question. <laughs> um, I'm I'm not sure what to expect expect because they're like hinting at so much stuff, yeah. but not actually telling us anything. So yeah, I mean I'm pretty sure that it will just become even better than the first season now that there's like mm. a plan for everything where everything is going. And of course, I'm really excited as to how Hugh Calder will come back because, like, eventually he has to come back. Oh, he's come back. <laughs> and yeah, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping to see more Stamets Tilly friendship happening because oh, that's my God. great. <laughs> so, um, were you surprised by the introduction of the original series characters at the end of last season? Are you. I mean, I know that I'm, like, losing my... You're probably losing your mind. I'm so excited for them to introduce Spock is my number one bae. Um, so are you excited for that? Do you feel like they're going to kind of walk a line between, like, um, staying their own show? They've been pretty unique so far. Yeah, I think, I think they're doing a really great job at, like, making new things, but also staying true to the original and kind of, like like keeping it true to the canon while yes changing things and inventing new things so i think they're doing a really great job at that thank you so much for literally appearing like seven minutes <laughs> after i dm'd you on instagram you can say goodbye to our listeners yes goodbye listeners goodbye everyone now i feel like i'm in welcome to nightville goodbye listeners <laughs> <laughs> that should a cecil should be your next cosplay i have a cecil cosplay but it's oh my god girl <laughs> That's all the time we have for this episode. Special thanks to Mo for taking time out of her convention for an interview. You can find her on Twitter as Sound of Cosplay. Do check out her marvelous Stamets cosplay if you haven't already. Next time, Bill Leisner returns for part two of his interview to discuss his books, including his Star Trek stories and novels, upcoming projects, and other geeky things. Remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from inside a spore chamber. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny. <laughs>